Did you know that in 1915, there was a riot in El Paso, Texas? The United States military and all of the law enforcement officers in the community were called to protect the town and the property and everything from Mexican citizens and American citizens of Mexican ancestry that were, well, they were upset that one of their favorite people had been killed by a bunch of ranchers in El Paso County, but in near a community called Sierra Blanca, Texas. That will come at the end of the story. Now let me tell you about Pascuala Rosco. Pascuala Rosco was raised by his father and mother. They were, they owned a small grocery store, mercantile, and he went to public schools and in, in San Isidro, Chihuahua. And Pascual, as a teenager, got himself a string of mules and started supplying, hauling supplies to American mining companies and Mexican mining companies in the mountains of northern Chihuahua. He got very good at mule skinning and at packing things, and that will come into the story later also. Pasquale was a, very, a highly motivated young man, and you throw a peso or a dollar at him and he, he would get anything done. So one has to remember that during the, the time of his birth, through his younger years, is the late 1890s. But he was learning how to work and start a business and hauling material up into the mines and gold and silver away from the mines. So he got to know the country, much like a fellow mule skinner by the name of Pancho Villa. The two were in the early days of the Mexican Revolution, were tied at the hip. They were, they were compas, and but at the same time they were, they were rivals. Anyway, the important thing about Pascual Orozco is that he had the ability to talk men into following him. So in the early days of the Mexican Revolution, when Madero was trying to get rid of Porfirio, Porfirio, President Porfirio Diaz of Mexico, one of his biggest supporters was Pascual Orozco. Pascual Orozco won several battles against uh, the Diaz troops. In fact, one of the funny things about what he did, after winning one of the battles, he, uh, all of the, the dead federal soldiers, he took all of their clothes off and 
<laughs> and shipped them to the fort of the federal troops and said, here are the wrappers. Send more tamales. <laughs> I've always thought that was that was a great deal. But anyway, he at one time in the early early well early 1910, he had an army of over 30,000 men following him in Chihuahua, and pretty well he pretty well controlled Chihuahua. So M Madero was. Uh, trying to kick Porfirio Diaz out of uh, out of office or get him to leave and so Madero attacked the city of Juarez, Mexico and he had his he had his two armies outside of Juarez getting ready to attack Juarez but he kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. His two commanders were Pascual Orozco and our boy Pacho Villa. But the top general was Pascual Orozco. Most people don't know that. Most people think that Pacho Villa was the number one general, but he wasn't. So what happened is that Pancho and Pasquale got together and they said, you know, this guy that we're working for is just a little bit too slow to pull the trigger. We need to do something. So Pancho and uh, Pancho Villa and Pasquale Orozco attacked Juarez, attacked a, f a fort, the soldiers there. And there were, uh, there, there were about 2,000 so federal soldiers there and Pasquale and uh, Pasquale Orozco and Huerta had 1,200 men in their army. They won. And because they won in the city of Juarez, Porfirio Diaz, who had been president of Mexico, Mexico since the 1870s, you're talking, he'd been in power for over 40 years, he agreed with Madero that he would leave, that he would go into exile. So him and his him, uh, uh, Porfirio Diaz, left, went into exile, and Madero became president of Mexico. But when Pro Madero became president of Mexico, he did not, he made a very bad political maneuver. He did not support Villa or Orozco. So within a year's time, both of the men started fighting against Madero. Pasquale was a hero in Chihuahua. In the city of Chihuahua, when he came through in his victory parade, there's, there were said to be over 30,000 people cheering him on. Now, 30,000 people in today's world is a lot. 30,000 in 1915 to come out and support a hero in a, a city of maybe 20,000 people 
is absolutely fantastic. He was a true hero. He was, he was, he was the man that the Mexican people felt that he had, he had forced a dictator out of power. He was extremely popular. Well, by 1912, Pascual Orozco had split with Madero, and he was actually fighting Madero. And he fought many battles in northern Mexico, and had uh, Pascual had extended himself too much. He had used all of his personal money, which he had literally raised from daily work, and all of his supporters' money, so he didn't have money enough to buy ammunition or, or guns for the United States. So, he lost a major battle. And the man that he lost the battle to was a guy by the name of Victoriano Huerta. Huerta Witte. And that's kind of exciting because Huerta was soon to become president of Mexico in a very shady way. Huerta came in, he had the president of Mexico murdered as well as his vice president. Being a military man, Huerta realized that he had a jewel on his hands in, in northern Mexico. He had somebody that had a was not trained in military campaigns and wars and whatever, had no military experience, but he had the ability to bring people together and people to follow him. He had to get Pascual Orozco on his side. So he did. Pascual Orozco became a supporter of Huerta. And when you look at the Mexican Revolution, you've got to look at, there were so many different sides, there were so many different groups that were fighting the federal government and then fighting individuals and each other. It was a it was a terrible thing. Much fighting, much of this going on. One of the people that was on the revolutionary side was Pacho Villa. So Pacho Villa and Pascual got into fights. One of their battles was at the Battle of Ojinaga, which is across the, across the river from Presidio, Texas. If you want to look at a very cool movie that, that kind of tells the story of this Presidio, the Battle of Ojinaga, you need to look at a made-for-TV movie by the by HBO called and starring as himself Pancho Villa. Antonio Banderas plays Pancho Villa. 
It's a, it's a neat side story to the Mexican Revolution. Anyway, during this several months long battle for the control of Ojinaga, Pascual Orozco was wounded and he slipped back into the United States to get away from the Mexicans that were going to kill him. Well, when he came into the United States, you've got to remember that the United States had some troops on the border. He had to get by them before he could get to where he could get healed up. He was in El Paso for a while and then went to L.A., spent some time in Los Angeles with a cousin and was healed. He came back, and by the time he got back, Victoriano Huerta had gone into exile. The president of Mexico had been allowed to leave, and Huerta had uh, had gone to a uh, had been sent to Veracruz, Veracruz on the east coast of Mexico, big port, and in the port was a German battle cruiser. Huerta got on the German battle cruiser and sailed, stopped in Jamaica. This is 1914. Went to Spain, went to Germany, went to England, just as the First World War was starting. So you've got ex-president of Mexico that's visiting all sides at an area where you've got a new world war starting. Huerta was in constant contact with his ex-general. While Huerta was still in power, he made Pascual Orozco general of all federal forces in Mexico. Their army was about 10 times larger than all of the United States forces put together. Very large. Mexico had a much larger army than the United States did at this time. Now you've got to remember what is happening right now. We've got the start of World War I. United States was absolutely neutral. You've got people on both sides trying to figure out what the strategy is going to be to win the war. You've got the British, you've got the Germans, you've got the Americans that have one of the most valuable things in the world. They've got a breadbasket. They can feed the world just with our food. They also have a potential that the Americans did not realize what it was. That's population. 
Everybody wanted the United States to be on their side, the Brits, the Germans. So everything that was done for the next several years was diplomatically, was directly to do something with the United States. Okay, so what happens while Huerta is in exile, Pascual Orozco will have nothing to do with the new president of Mexico, Carranzas. So he was still in in contact with uh, our boy Huerta. <laughs> and Huerta, in the meantime, had come up with a very interesting situation. The Germans had come to him and given him, in 1914, a substantial amount of money. $12 million. And the background to the money that was given to Huerta was to keep, tried to keep the United States out of the war. Any way that they could. So they had to get Huerta back into power because Huerta was going to support Germany. One of the, geographically, one of the most important things about Mexico is that you've got a big shoreline all the way down through the Yucatan up to Brownsville, Texas. It's a great place to supply and rearm and refuel submarines. And Germany had a lot of submarines. They wanted to, they wanted to keep the supplies from reaching Europe, from reaching Britain. So, they, I guess the simplest way you could say is they bribed Huerta. Now, what does that have to do with Pascuala Rosco being in this big well, being dead, but causing a big riot in, riot in El Paso, Texas. Well, at his funeral. It seems like that the six or eight months that Huerta is in, uh, in uh, Europe, Pascuala Roscoe is in the United States gathering arms and ammunition to start a new revolution. New Revolution. It all started off with a party in one of the biggest hotels in New York City. They had this three-day bash. Well, one of the prime people invited to the party was a guy by the name of Pascual Orozco from El Paso, Texas. Well, there was other people that were interested in the party. United States Secret Service agents, which were the 
investigative arm of the Department of Treasury. They weren't start protecting presidents yet. But they could tap telephones. They tapped telephones and they had people and waiters listening to everything that Huerta and Orozco and the German diplomats at the hotel. Well, Huerta starts talking about what he's going to do. He is going to go to a, a World's Fair. It was called an exposition, the San Francisco Exposition in 1915. And how do you get from one place to the other in the United States of America? There's no freeway system. There's no, very few roads. There's no, of course, no airplanes. So you go railroad. Well, where to get a big, beautiful, special car, private car, and attaches it to the back of the train and says that he's going from New York to San Francisco. Well, you look at a map of the United States and you, what do you see in the, in the middle? You see St. Louis. In St. Louis, the train company stopped the train, put a, a much better caboose on the train, more, more presidential, and the train took off San Francisco. Well, what do you have? You have 10 United States Secret Service agents that are watching every move that Pasquale Rosco and where to make. Well, at the first water stop after St. Louis, somebody decides to look in the private box, and guess what? Pasquale Rosco and Huerta are not in the box. They're gone. So they start looking for them. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. Well, they finally found where Huerta and, and Orozco had left. And at a water stop just before you get into El Paso County, Texas, on the New Mexico line in a little water stop called Newman, New Mexico. The train that Huerta and, and Orozco had gotten on pulls out, and the next thing you know, it surrounded their car and the people that had come to, to see them was surrounded and they were put under arrest. Huerta was put under a $15,000 cash bond. Now this is 1915. The, the average annual salary was less than $300 a year. And they put the ex-president of Mexico under a $15,000 cash bond because they knew what he was going to do. He was gonna go back into Mexico and start another revolution. The new president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, did not want that to happen. So they also decided they were going to put Orozco under a $7,500 cash bond. Now where are you going to keep a 
an ex-president of Mexico. You're not going to throw him in the downtown drunk tank. <laughs> You're going to put him in a fine house. The new Fort Bliss that had just been built had some fantastic buildings on it. So they put Huerta and Orozco in one of these houses. What happens? The very first night they're under under guard, Pascual Orozco escapes. Every lawman in El Paso, Texas and surrounding communities are trying. They can't find him any place. And this goes on for over 30 days. Huerta is still in jail, but he's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good jail. It's a pretty good way to go. So anyway, nobody knows, nobody can find Orozco anywhere. Now the story gets interesting. Pascual Orozco had caused the recruitment of an army of over 3,000 men. And those men were waiting for him at a, at a northern town or area of Chihuahua of North Eastern Chihuahua by the name of Bosque Benito. And these men had been waiting since June of 1914, I mean June of 1915, for their leader, Huerta, and their general, Orozco, to show up. Now, what have you got? You've got an army sitting out there doing absolutely nothing. They're waiting for their leadership. They've also got another problem. They haven't been paid. So they've... Now, does Orozco and Huerta, do they have access to any money? Oh, that's right. Germany had given them $12 million for arms and ammunition and to pay and supply an army. Well... United States wasn't stupid. They'd gone in. They had their secret service. They had their spies. They they had found out most of all of this. And they've got one ma major problem. You've got Pascual Orozco, the general of all, had one time had been the general of all federal armies, is in the wind. Is he, is he already in Mexico? Is he in the United States? The few supply depots, the ammunition depots that the they the Secret Service knew that he had were gone. They didn't know where they were. So it all turned on a, a real funny situation. Just east of just west of El of Cerro Blanco, there is a place that is called ethylene. Ethylene, only thing that is left in ethylene is a few cement blocks, but it's right on the, on the railroad. 
because what it was was a water stop. We keep going back to the water stop on the rail on the railroads. You need water to run it, these engines. Well, it's August 1915, late August 1915, when the depot in Sierra Blanca, Texas, which is five miles east of Ethylene, gets a message. It seems like somebody has stolen about 12 of the horses that were held in the corral at Ethylene. The puffer, where in the heck are my horses? Somebody's stolen them. Nobody know where they went. Almost at within 10 minutes after that telegraph coming in, and this is like at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. The guy had gone out to milk his cow and found all of his horses gone. The first telephone that had been set up outside of Sierra Blanca, Texas, they'd run the wire along the top of the fence post. They get a telephone call. The marshal's office, a man by the name of Dave Allison, who was a marshal, got a telephone call from the Rowdy Love Ranch, which is about five miles south of Sarah Blank, and said, somebody's stolen all of the horses out of my pen, so I can't work, I can't go on my cattle work this morning. I've got all these cowboys waiting. Well, the marshal is trying to figure out what's happening. Finally, he gets down to the Rowdy Love about daylight and finds where the horses that had been stolen from the Rowdy Love place had gone in a direction that was north, north, they were going northwest. And about that time, the deputy of Dave Allison is in, is in ethylene, and he says the horses that were stolen there joined a bigger herd of horses, and they're going southeast. Nobody knows what's happened. Well, so they get a posse together in Sarah Blanca and start chasing the horse the horse rustlers. About 30, 25, 30 miles southeast of Sarah Blanca is a place called the TO headquarters. It's the old Tidwell headquarters. And Cook at the ranch house was Cook was, was drinking his coffee when all of a sudden upright several heavily armed Mexican men driving about 25 head of horses. And they were not happy. So they asked Mr. August Franzel to cook them breakfast. As the leader of the, of the Mexicans was sitting, eating breakfast with, another, with his second command, there were three other men in the, the corrals that were working on the horses, but, uh, the horseshoes that had come loose and everything else. These horses were all 
loaded down with a lot of equipment and stuff. When somebody says, oh, Chihuahua, look over there. There comes some dust coming from Blanca on our trail. Well, this is where the story gets a little crazy. If you look at the maps and everything, the Mexicans and their, their loaded down horses were less than three miles from the Mexican border. Would have taken them a matter of 15 or 20 minutes and they're in Mexico. But instead, the pack horses and the Mexican men turned north and went to a, an abandoned mine about 10 miles from where they'd been working on their horses to an abandoned mine called the Black Hills Mine. Well, the posse chasing the rustlers they get into a gunfight, and the gunfight lasts most of the day. And in the night, the Mexicans disengage and go through this mountain range, through a canyon called Frenchman's Canyon. The next morning, the next morning, Pascual Orozco and four of the men that were riding with him were surrounded and killed at a place called High Lonesome, which is south of the town of Van Horn, Texas. Involved in this shootout was uh, the county sheriff of Culberson County from Van Horn and several of the ranchers that had been chasing Pascual Orozco. All of the Mexican men were killed and the, their bodies were taken to Van Horn and they were laid on the platform, the, uh, the platform of the railroad depot. Someone says, well, probably a little bit of a curse word or whatever, but that is Pascual Orozco. Well, it caused a, a lot of problems because supposedly the ranchers did not know who they were chasing or who they killed. They didn't know. But it's funny that there were very few weapons or ammunition turned in by the posse. And there was only pocket change that was taken from the dead bodies. Oh, and I don't think anybody's ever recovered anything from the $12 million that was given to Huerta. Anyway, our friend Pascual Orozco and his compas were taken to El Paso, Texas, and four of the bodies were handled by the Catholic Church, 
and Pascual Orozco, who was not a Catholic, he was a Methodist, was sent to the Masonic uh, Temple, and he was put into slot 13 at the Masonic Temple in El Paso, Texas, Concordia Cemetery. Was nothing happened. Nothing happened to the the army that was waiting down there. They just slowly dispersed. Huerta, in the meantime, is still being held by the United States government at Fort Bliss. Of course, military was called out to stop the riots. There was no burning. No one was killed because of the military presence there. But there was a lot of people that were very, very upset about the killing of Squadrosco. This is September of 1915. Huerta is held by the United States military under arrest until December the 31st, 1915, when he was officially released, but he attended a party. He had become friends with a lot of the people that were at the post at Fort Bliss, and he was invited to their New Year's Eve party. Just as a side note, two of the people that... that are very prominent in United States history, were at the, at the fort this time. A man by the name of George Patton, later General George Patton, who had been stationed in Sarablanca during the Orozco raid, was at Fort Bliss, and John J. Pershing, the one that chased, the general that chased, well, Patton and, uh, Patton and uh, Pershing chased Villa for six months in Mexico in 1916. Anyway, the day after the party, Huerta became deathly ill. He was jaundiced. His, his skin turned yellow. His eyes turned yellow. And on the 13th day of January, 1915, he died and was buried next to his general in the, uh, the Masonic Mausoleum on the 16th day of January, 1916.